0: All right, Matthew chapter three, 13 through 17. you there? Here we go. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased this is the word of God for us the people of God and together we say thanks be to God will you pray with me Lord we thank you for your word may it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I received a really great Christmas gift this year. It's one that uh, I can't wait to use in a few months. My in-laws gave me a set of waders. I don't know if you've ever used waders before, if you hunt or if you fish. I got the ones, you know, that have the rubber boots built in, that come up to your chest. And uh, I don't know if you know this about me, uh, but I hate the cold. Like today, today, like leaving the house to come here was tough. I love you all, but I just don't do cold well. And if you know me, if you're related to me, if you, if we work together, friends, you know, this is the thing I complain about more than anything else on the planet. Like there are a few things that I don't like as much as being cold. I don't dress like this to be fancy. I need layers even in here. Right. So these waiters I'm excited about because they're supposed to, you know, help, you know, get into the water. You know, I'm a big fisherman and when the trout, head south sometime around March, April-ish, the water's not warm enough yet, and so you put on the waders, so you go fishing where the fish are. Um, but I expect that fishing might not be the only thing for which I get to use these waders, because I can tell you what, if we have another family camp in the other year, like we did this past year, I'm gonna get to use my waders again, or I'm gonna use them maybe for the first time, because one, we had one of the coolest experiences at family camp this year, when we were at Blue Lake a few months ago, we got to do two baptisms in the lake. Uh, Nikki just led the, the group out, but her daughter, Alex Lopez Montana, was baptized for the first time. And so was Renee Phillips. And Renee, many of you know, she's been at our church for many, many years, and she had never been baptized before and was ready to experience the sacrament of baptism. And so uh, they asked us, would y'all be willing to, separately, not even knowing they wanted to do it, um, would, would y'all do a baptism at Blue Lake? And my first question was, do I have any waiters?" <laughs> because cause that water is that pretty chilly. I'm just going to say, in November it's cold. But, but we did it, and it was great. You know, it was really cool to see that at such a, a, a wonderful weekend. I love, uh, I love family camp. It's one of my favorite things we do as a church. Um, but if you want to be baptized there, I will totally do it, but please don't be offended if next time I wear waders because it it gets real chilly. But what was awesome about that whole experience were the conversations we got to have with other people about baptism because that was such an unusual thing, right? I mean, in the Methodist church and typically here at Dolphin Way, it's rare we baptize anyone who's not a baby. We do most of our baptisms for infants. Um, It's also rare that we do the full immersion like in the lake, we put them all the way under, cold water and all, right? There's no sprinkling or pouring. It was a, it was a full-on dunking. And so, not the donuts, but you know, the one that you... And so, I'm, just, I'm not as funny today, I guess. I'm trying. That's because I'm cold. But I, I, I was really amazed by after those experiences, how many conversations we had with multiple people in our church who either hadn't been baptized before or wanted to remember their baptism or just didn't understand what it all meant. And so we thought it'd be good here on this Sunday where we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. We read the scripture about Jesus's baptism for us to talk about Jesus's baptism and how does it shape our understanding of what the sacrament is. But before we dive in, there's three reasons for me that this kind of sermon is tough. It's hard to preach a sermon like this, or it's sometimes writing a sermon just comes off my fingers, just from finger to page, real easy. And, and other pa- times, it, it's painstaking and slow. And, and this is one of those. And it's not because I don't know anything about baptism. It's because I love to talk about it, right? And I, and I, there's so much I want to say. And so in a sermon like this, what is challenging, uh, the first thing is I want to make sure that, that we are Looking at the text. What does the Bible have to say? Right? Anytime we preach, we always preach about the Bible. We're not preaching about the, the latest Christian bestseller or the, the latest blog post, right? We use the Bible and we might refer to those other things, but the Bible's you know, front and center. So so what do we understand about Jesus' baptism? The second thing that I find hard to articulate our theology in a concise way. I don't know if you notice about my like brevity is not my strong suit right? Uh, There there are a lot of things I want to say. And so how do I, we we say these things concisely, but also in a way that's interesting. I never want to bore anybody with a sermon. I want you to leave here saying like, oh, that was good. I, I learned something. I enjoyed it. God was speaking to me through the sermon. And the last thing is how do I preach a sermon I've never preached before? I don't believe that preachers should just, you know, reuse old sermons. We might adapt them or use parts and pieces here and there, but like, I'm never going to preach the same sermon, this sermon today. I'm not ever going to preach a sermon again, ever. And so how do I say something different about baptism than maybe I've ever said? How can I make baptism new? You know, those are my three questions. Those are my, my three challenges that I think for us as we consider these things this morning. And so let's begin by turning our attention first back to the text, right? Let's turn our attention and look at what the Bible is saying. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John and john gets a little apprehensive right he the, the, the text says um, i don't know i don't know if i'm the person this way. he says john tried to deter him saying i need to be baptized by you and you come to me it'd be like if you know, I'm, I'm a guitar player it would be like if i was giving out free lessons and then and then all of a sudden like the edge from you 2 came up and was like hey can you teach me a thing or two right i'd be like Dude, or if Slash from Guns N' Roses just walks up with his Les Paul, he's like, I need you to show me your ways. And I'm gonna be like, dude, I've got nothing. I've got nothing compared to you, man. I mean, that's what John is feeling here. That Jesus comes and says, I really wanna be baptized by you. And John's like, this is weird. This is the other way around. But John complies, he does what Jesus says, and he says, okay, sure, he consents. And then the text fast forwards a bit. And then, in fact, it kind of skips over the best part, the part that we're all interested in, right? Listen again. After John consents to baptize Jesus, the Bible says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then a voice said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. The Spirit descending like a dove is cool. Don't get me wrong. But why do we go straight from, sure, I'll do it, to then it's over? Like, don't, don't you, we miss the actual baptism. We, we don't get any details. Like the, the Bible doesn't tell us how it happened, how many times he was dunked, if he was dunked. It doesn't tell us if he was sprinkled or poured. It doesn't tell us if he had on a white gown or a cool dark T-shirt. I mean, nor does it tell us if he, if he was dunked, if he had the proper form. If you've, if you've ever been baptized by immersion, you know the proper form. You got to have those arms crossed so you can hold your nose right you go under. Right? We don't know any of those things. The Bible just leaves it all out. The Bible says that John said yes and then he went up out of the water and the Spirit snugged up. And I'll pause there on that phrase, he went up out of the water. You know, it, it, it very well could have been that Jesus was immersed, dunked all the way. We, we don't really know. He doesn't say specifically. But did you know that the earliest Christian art that depicts the baptism of Jesus shows it as John pouring water over Jesus' head from a shell the earliest depictions we have and you know, the images we have of baptism are them standing in the river and John pouring it out of a shell. But we don't know if that's true or not because we don't have the details. But there is a case for immersion that maybe Jesus was immersed because people say, well, look, he came up out of the water. A lot of people who say you got to be immersed is because Jesus came up out of the water after John dunked him. But that's not actually what this text is saying. The Greek word for, for went up or came up, when it says he came up out of the water, is anibe. And this word is more talking about like walking up an incline, like moving up the riverbank, or to walk in a northern direction. In Matthew 14, we read that Jesus, he went up on a mountain, he anibe onto the mountain. In Luke 2, he went up to Galilee, he anibe up to Galilee. Luke 19, Zacchaeus, anibe into the sycamore tree. You get my point. It's more about like walking, moving somewhere north, like walking up out of the river. He came up out of the river. He was in the river and then he wasn't in the river. It's not necessarily a line saying that he was dunked all the way under. And then when he came up out of the water, the spirit descends like a dove. Isn't it crazy? The story in your Bibles is labeled the baptism of Jesus, but we don't really get any insight into how Jesus was actually baptized. We don't know what happened. All we know is that John did it. He climbed up out of the river and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. All of which is really great. But we're really just in the dark on the how of it all. And to be honest, I'm actually kind of okay with that. You know, the Bible leaves a number of things unanswered. Leaves rooms for, for interpretation on different things because we didn't live in the first century and so there's things that take study to understand Fully. And you know, when I, th- I think about all the different questions I get from other people about Methodists, people who ask us about our tradition, I think the number one question I get is, do y'all sprinkle? You don't? you sprinkle or you don't? I'm like, "Yeah, we do both. And we'll pour too, if you want. Because though he was not a Methodist, B.B. Warfield, a Princeton professor from 1986 to the early 1900s, or 1886, early 1900s, he once wrote, we may search the New Testaments in vain if we are seeking minute instructions on how we can perform baptism. And he's right. You can go from Matthew to Revelation and you will not find a how-to guide to do baptisms. You won't find that you have to do it this way or that way. Here at Dauphin Way, we believe that baptism is one of two sacraments. The other is communion, which we'll practice together in just a moment. And the most important thing you can know about a sacrament is this. Wilson just aced this on his uh, interview so he can become a pastor. He's gonna be commissioned here in June and he had to know this specific answer. A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. An outward and visible sign. It's something that you can see. It's something that symbolizes. It is something that you can witness But what is really happening is something you can't see. It's beyond words, it's happening in a spiritual way inside of us. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he said, the baptism was neither essential nor sufficient for salvation. It was though the ordinary means that God designed and God designated for applying the benefits of the work of Christ into human lives. We are Protestant, we are distinctly Protestant. And so we believe that the scriptures contain all that is necessary for salvation, right? We believe that it is not by your works that you are saved, but by the grace of God. We also believe that we are saved by grace through faith, which means there's nothing that you can do to earn your own salvation. But we also believe that baptism is not the only experience of salvation. People sometimes will sometimes say, you know, when, when were you saved? And then they'll name the time they were baptized as if like it was the only moment that counts. For us, we're not of the opinion that you're not saved until you're baptized. God can save you. God saved us all 2,000 years ago, and we get to accept that throughout our lives We also don't believe that baptism is the ending moment of it all. It's not the culmination of salvation. For Wesley, baptism was part of a lifelong process of salvation. We talk about that a lot. Sanctification, we want to be made holy as God is holy. Baptism is the the first part of two public experiences on your journey of salvation. It is the part where you experience the justifying grace of God and in a public way. And the second part is where you have a chance to make another public commitment to Christ that we call confirmation. So in, in our typical mode here in the Methodist church, what often happens is a child will be baptized as an infant and then later confirmed in the sixth grade. That means when they're an infant, the prevenient grace of God is working through their parents in our church for that child to experience the sacrament of baptism. But at some point, they've got to own that faith for themselves. We can't live the life of faith for them for forever. They have to make a public confession that says, I am a Christian and I want to follow Jesus. But it doesn't have to happen in that fashion. There are many people who are not baptized until later in life. There are many people, like I said, we just did a baptism for, uh uh, uh, for a nine-year-old. I think she's nine. I'll have to ask her after this. Sorry. And for Renee, who's in her adulthood. And, uh, and we say, you know, baptism can happen at any time and then you make your public profession right after. They can be kind of, you know, wham, bam, back to back. There doesn't have to be a specific, just like there's not exact details in the Bible, we, we don't say you have to follow this path or you can never be baptized or your salvation doesn't work. A person can be baptized as a, a child or a youth or an adult and we believe that in that moment, what happens in baptism is that we believe God is doing something inside of you. All right, let me let me say this again. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. We believe God is actually doing something in baptism. We don't believe it is just a, a symbol that, you know, is a, a a nice thing. We don't think it's just a promise that we make to raise our kids in the church. We think something's actually happening in baptism. We think that the grace of God is transforming that person's life. We think that God is doing something we can't even fully explain. The reason why we think both parts are important is because we believe that it is God that saves us by bringing us into the faith. God saves us through the grace that he offers and we have to accept it in our confirmation or our confession or our public affirmation. Uh, We believe that the combination of Paul saying, you are saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. We also believe what James says, that faith without works is dead. They're both true. It is that first God saves us, and then we say, yes, God. God offers us the grace, and then we have the choice to accept it. But there's a time in our history of this Methodist movement where we lost sight of that. You know, the Methodist movement grew very fast during the frontier days, during the manifest destiny as we're expanding west. At one point, two out of every three Christians in America were Methodists. And it was growing so fast that there were not enough pastors to keep up all the churches. And we had these things called circuit riders where they go to one church a week for four weeks and they'd keep it on a rotation. And when they came there, they'd do communion that week. And that's why historically, we often do communion once a month in a lot of our services is because of that reason. Now, in many of our services, like this one, we do it every week. But for a while, pastors could only be at a church once a month. But there were a lot of babies being born. And there were a lot of people who wanted their child baptized. And sometimes the pastor wouldn't be able to be there or wouldn't be able to make it. And so some of our Methodist historians, they recount that for a while, infant baptism was often reduced to ceremony of dedication. And adult baptism was more often viewed simply as an act of joining the church. By the middle of the 20th century, Methodism in general had ceased to understand baptism as authentically sacramental. Rather than an act of divine grace, it was seen as an expression of human choice. But thankfully, over the last 100 years, There's a reclamation of our beautiful theology that affirms that it's not simply an expression of human choice. What's happening in baptism actually has very little to do with you. What happens in baptism has everything to do with God and what God is doing in you. The things that you cannot do for yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot experience grace apart from God. And so in baptism, God is doing something real. God is doing something that is beyond explanation even. That's why as a church, we don't practice rebaptisms here. We do remembrances of baptisms, which we're about to do in just a moment. We do reaffirmations of our baptisms, which we can do at any time. But you don't have to be baptized again. If you were baptized as a baby or as an adult, you only got to do it one time. You know why? Because it wasn't anything you did. If you had done it, we might have to do it again because you might have messed up. But guess what? God did it and God doesn't mess up. What happens in baptism is God's work and so God doesn't have to do that work again because it was made right the first time. But you can recommit yourself as many times as you need to. You can reaffirm your faith as often as it takes for you to stay on the path of sanctification. And so we know that Jesus was baptized, we don't have a lot of details. We think baptism can happen one time but, but in any of the three different modes And we think it's something God is doing within us. But there's one last thing I want to say about baptism. The only time I ever struggled with our theology around baptism was whenever I learned that the word baptism in Greek, the original Greek translation, baptizo, literally means to immerse or submerge. And I thought for a moment, you know, maybe we should just only do the dunking. I mean, I'm not for like dunking people who maybe not be able to, you know, Take it on their own themselves, you know, like I don't want to be dunking babies. I don't want to be dunking people who might not be ready to make that commitment or ability to do so themselves. But but it seems weird that the Bible literally says immerse and submerge and, and that we would go in a different direction than that. The literal definition of the baptism is is why some traditions say it is either immersion or nothing. There are some churches you might have come from or you might go to where their theology is just different than ours. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying in some places you have to be immersed to experience baptism. And it's because the baptismal word, baptizo, literally means immersion or submerge. On a church website in Virginia, it says that it's either immersion or nothing. But the reason my conundrum didn't last super long, one, I have great faithful people around me as we're developing in our faith journey together, but I also thought about a lot of wonderful Christians, people who are more like Jesus than I am, who got sprinkled as babies. I thought about all the people in our lives who have led us in faith, they were not immersed. And I had to ask myself, does that mean that God didn't work in their lives? Does that mean that God wasn't active in their experience of baptism? What would it mean for the slews of Christians who were sprinkled? Would their salvation be nullified because they didn't do it by the right method? I mean, the rest of our theology would surely say no. I mean, that would fi- fly in the face of how we understand God's grace. I mean, that rigid legalism is never the way that Jesus really spoke about anything. Jesus never gave explicit instructions about how baptisms have to happen. He just said, go out and baptize in my name. Which leads me to the other word that that Greek, baptizo, can be translated to. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it can mean submerging. It can mean immerse. But it can also mean to be Overwhelmed. And that sounds to me exactly how we understand baptism. It is the thing that overwhelms us. It is the grace of God that overwhelms us. I mean, when someone asks what grace is or what grace does, you could give them hundreds of answers. You say it saves us, it sanctifies us, it comforts us, it convicts us. Ultimately though, the best thing that you can say is it overwhelms us. It is beyond one definition. And that's just like baptism. It's the incorporation into the body of Christ. It brings us into union with Christ and with each other. It is the forgiveness of sins. It grants us new life. It creates within us a desire for holy living. It's the doorway to a sanctified life. It's God's gift to any person. of any It just overwhelms us. Baptism is the thing that overwhelms us with God's grace. And every time you see it happen, every time you remember your own, you have the opportunity to be overwhelmed all over again those same Methodist historians wrote that the ritual action, the ritual action of a sacrament does not merely point to God's presence in the world, but it also participates in it. And it becomes a vehicle for conveying that reality. God's presence in the sacraments is real. Every time you come to the table, every time you remember your baptism, every time you participate in someone else's You have the chance once again to experience the real presence of the overwhelming grace of God. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by God's grace? When was the last time you needed to be comforted in a moment of pure despair? And it's God's grace. When was the last time that you had your heart strangely warmed and you didn't really know why, but something was convicting you? When was the last time you were reminded that you are forgiven? no matter what you've done. That and so much more is what God offers us through his grace. And every time we participate in the baptismal ritual for another, we covenant with them to be their church family and we experience that grace ourselves all over again. And every time you come and touch water as a remembrance of your baptism, I pray that you are overwhelmed by the grace of God. And so this morning, as we worship with a God of grace, we come and touch the water of our baptism. I'm gonna lead us in just one moment in a prayer over the water. And then as you come forward, you'll be invited to touch it as you come and receive communion. But if you've never been baptized before, the water is here and you're invited to experience that. We can either do it now if you want to, or we can talk about it after worship. We can talk about what it means to make this commitment. Because if you're being baptized as an adult, you are making a commitment that I wanna make sure that you're ready for. If you've been baptized as an infant and you don't physically remember it, you can remember it in your spirit by knowing that in that moment and throughout your life, God was overwhelming you. Because friends, God's grace is for all of us. And I believe that there's nothing more that God wants than to overwhelm you with that grace. As the hymn goes, this is the spirit's entry now, the water and the word. The cross of Jesus on your brow, this seal both felt and heard. Let water be the sacred sign that we must die each day to rise again by his design as followers on his way. Renewing spirit, hear our praise for your baptismal power that washes us through our, our days. Come cleanse us again this hour. Will you pray with me?